Hey, I want to start off uh, a little bit different today. Uh, I want to highlight uh, what I like to call your GPS system for ne- what's next around here, and that's the Connect card. Um, and if this is your first time or your 101st time, and you have not filled out one of these Connect cards, you would be good too, because this is actually not for us to get information on you. This is an open front door for you to get information about us. Um, so we will send you an enormous amount of thoughts on who we are as a church and what we stand for and what we believe in and how you can get involved in what's happening here. And so if you would fill this Connect card out, it will help you find your place. Uh, Even if you've been coming here for a long time and you're still looking for your place to matter, that spot where you can belong, the Connect card is the first step. It is where you actually can begin to get more information about how that can happen, all right? So even as I'm talking, fill that out. You know, old school, pen and and paper, baby, you know, like uh, we're... We're, we're bringing it back. Uh, I, I also want to say uh, that God is doing a good thing here at Antioch. Can I get an amen? amen. God is doing a really, really good thing. And uh, one of the good things that he is doing here is that we are being fruitful and multiplying. And what I mean by that is, is there's a lot of kids. And I, I, I love that. I love that as our church is maturing, uh, we are all maturing together. And so there's babies and there's kids and, and there's kids space and all of those things really matter. Can I just say that? We're not doing kids child care babysitting. We are, we are doing discipleship. Uh, and, and what happens over there in our north campus and, and our, at our south location here, uh, what happens back there is not entertainment for your kids while you get to worship and, and hear a sermon. What happens in there is seeds are being planted of the truth of who God is and the truth of who they are in him. And the foundations that are built in those early years, we all stand on in the next 20 years. Uh, and it really, really matters. And so here's the thing. We, we have a, a, a conviction around here uh, that we don't like to stand up and ask you for things. And the reason is, is because we really do believe that giving and, joy and the joy of serving should come from in here, not from somebody asking you to do it up here. But at the exact same time, I think clarity is kind. Clarity is kind. And, and so, so here's the thing. Unapologetically, we need 10 more kids volunteers for this semester at both campuses. We need 10. The reason we need 10 is that we don't want our kids volunteers to live back there. We want them to serve there. And so when we have more, then they can serve less. And therefore, everyone's happier and more fruitful. And they get to come to church too. And don't you want the people investing in your kids filled with the Holy Spirit and alive in God as well, right? And so we need 10 more volunteers to serve in kids. We believe that we're going to get probably 50 from today, but we just need 10 from here. And here's, where, here's my guarantee, pastor's guarantee. All right, you ready for it? Pastor's guarantee it's going to be more fun than you think it's going to be. It's going to be way more impactful than you can imagine it's going to be. 
And you're actually probably going to want to keep serving back there at the end of the semester. You're going to say, sign me up again, because it's amazing to be a part of seeing these little lives get set on fire for the purposes of God on the earth. So that's the pastor's guarantee. So after you serve this semester and, and none of those things happen, come tell me and I'll give you your money back. All right? All right. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Now, we're going to be continuing our series that we're calling God is Undefeated. Everybody say, I'm winning. God is undefeated. And, and what we're leaning into over these next few weeks is what does it mean for us to learn the rhythm of walking in victory even when we're in the middle of a fight? What does it mean for us to walk in the victory of God to experience the fullness of his glory and goodness even when we are in a tough spot. We want to walk in victory in all and through all. Can I get an amen? Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now jump with me to verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. What that means is, is you might not feel like you are winning, but what you feel is not always real. You might not feel like you're winning because sometimes victory feels like a battle. And so for us as followers of Jesus, the invitation is to learn to thrive in the fight. Because the enemy has been defeated. Jesus is reigning here on the earth. The battle has been won. There's nothing on earth or under earth, no plan of hell. There's no consequence of the broken world that is too great that the living God cannot pull you through. Because we are more than conquerors. The fight for us is to live in victory, understanding that we don't have to fight for victory. That phrase in and of itself will set somebody free. We live from victory because victory has already been given to us through Jesus. We don't have to fight for victory because our God is undefeated. And what I want us to lean into today is, is, is what does it look like to walk in victory when heaven is silent? What does it mean for us to walk in victory when heaven is silent? Charles Spurgeon, a legendary theologian, once said, to trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust him in the dark, that is faith. To trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust him in the dark, that is faith. And let me just start with a question. How many of you would call yourself an optimist? Raise your hand. All right, now all the optimists in the house, I want you to look at all the negative Nancys that are sitting around you. All right? Yeah, now everybody wants to be an optimist, right? Now people are still like, oh, me time, an optimist! Right, I want you just to take in all the negative Nancys that probably cheer for the Cleveland Browns and watch Christmas movies in October, okay? Like, where there's just so many things that are wrong. 
that nothing can be right. No, I'm, I'm just joking with you. Like, but I'm an optimist. Full, full on, like I always think it's going to be great. And oftentimes people come up to me and I'm going through a tough time and they'll be like, how are you doing? And I genuinely mean it. I'm good. Because my kind of system reset and hard is that we're going to be okay. Like we're going to make it. Think, things are going to work themselves out. Like I'm a, I'm a glass is half full kind of a guy. Like I, I just, I'm not trying to ignore what's hard. I just, my system reset button always lands on, it's going to be great. We're, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be all right. And, and on top of that, I love a good underdog story, right? Like I love a good underdog story, man. Like I can't get enough of underdog stories. I'll read any book that's about somebody doing something that somebody else said they couldn't do. And, and even for me, like I, I was meeting with my counselors in high school and I was telling them, I'm going to go to Baylor University. And my counselor literally looked at me and said, sweetie, Baylor's not for people like you. <laughs> like I had gotten accepted to the school. I, I, I was already like locked and loaded and ready to go. But I have like a severe learning disability. I have dyslexia, so I can't spell my own name. Uh, like I can't, I couldn't even probably tell you the alphabet right now. I struggle with that kind of stuff. And so they were saying, like, dude, this is not for you. Like, college is not your deal. This is not, and that's all I needed to hear, right? Like, that one meeting was motivation enough. I was like, thank you. Thank you so much, you Christmas moving, watching person in October. Like, thank you for that. Like, thanks for telling me. Because all, all I needed to hear was, you can't do that. I'm good. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put everything I have into then doing the thing that you said that I couldn't do. And to this day, it takes the, the fruit of the Spirit operating in my life for, ne- for me not to go back to my high school just wearing the frame of my diploma. <laughs> and just walk into the counselor's office and just say nothing, just stand there. I still want to do it. I still want to do it because I... I I hate it when people say that I can't do stuff. So I'm an optimist. I've, I got a little bit of an underdog in me. I got a little bit of an underdog spirit. And, and, and so I, I, I like the struggle. I like the fight. But a few years ago, I, I like to say I ran into myself. You know, eventually you will run into yourself. There's, there's only so many things that you can do that will actually be able to hide what's really going on. And a few years ago, a few years ago, like I ran into myself. And what I mean is, is that if, you're, if your motivation in life is to prove that everyone, uh, if they, excuse me, if your motivation in life is to prove to everyone that you are somebody, or if, if your motivation even is to prove to God that you're worthy of something. If those motivations are in you, if, the, if that sand is in the, in the foundation of what you are building your life on, you will run end to yourself. You will come to the end of yourself. You will realize that you are not who you thought that you were. You will, real, you will realize you're not as strong as you thought that you were. 
you will realize that maybe you aren't winning when it feels like you are winning. And again, I want you to listen to Romans 8, verse 37. Everybody said, uh, uh, sorry, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him. Everybody say through. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's nothing that our God can't do, but there are limits to what you can do. Can we just sit in that for a minute? There's nothing that God can't do. He is the God of the impossible, but you are not him. And learning to rest in the power of his sovereignty and in the limits of your humanity. Learning to rest in that place brings victory to our lives. John 15 verse 5 says, I'm the vine and you are the, van- the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes, we are more than conquerors. Yes, nothing is impossible through Jesus. But I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And when I ran into myself, I saw just how Weak I was. Just like all of you, I've gone through some hard things in life. And a few years ago, I started noticing the impacts of those things on my life. Starting about 2016, within about three years, it felt like everything was in transition. We adopted our twins who are amazing. And and I love being an adopted father. And it is beautiful and it is magic and it is all of those things. But trauma is also messy. And so as we are becoming one and as a family, there is also moments of ups and downs as we are all learning to trust one another and we're getting healed of things that we used to tell ourselves to protect ourselves. And, and trauma is messy. It, it can be challenging. And then three months after we brought the twins home, we moved home. Three months after we brought the twins home, we moved from Waco to Austin to plant this church. And it's been an amazing, beautiful ride. And God has been unbelievably faithful to us. And I I just am blown away daily at all that God has done and just filled with expectation that that there's still just more more to come. And even in the middle of that, pioneering costs you something. If you've ever started anything out of nothing, you are familiar with the hard to explain but very real pain of pioneering. Pioneering is builds, built into it is a, this tension that is exhausting for our flesh. It's this clarity of what God wants to do and then the facts and the reality of where you really are. 
and in that pioneering journey of learning how to carry the tension of a vision and, and then dealing with the real hard work of just trying to see a church established in the city of Austin out of nothing. It was beautiful, but it was also challenging. They say the most stressful things that you can do in life is move cities, change jobs, and add more kids to your family. And so we thought, let's do all of them in three months. <laughs> we, we just took it all on. Like, let's just go ahead and just throw a puppy in there, too. You know, like, let's just get all the hard stuff out right out of the gate. And then a year later, almost a year exactly, my wife, Elizabeth, had a stroke. And when she had that stroke, she was completely paralyzed on her right side. She couldn't walk. She could barely talk. She couldn't use her hand. I remember I was laying next to my daughter Sophie in her room, and we both would just be crying and just asking God, like, God, would you just touch mom? Like wrestling with just the real pain of, like, what does this mean for our family? Is Liz going to make it? Am I going to be a single dad? Is she ever going to be able to walk again? And I remember laying next to my daughter Sophie with tears coming down my face and having to make this very painful decision of like, you know what, I can't let myself feel right now. I have to be a rock for her. I need to put all this stuff away. I, gotta, I can't let my heart go there. Because mom is in the hospital and dad can't be falling apart. Any parents in the house understand that at times challenging decision that you have to make. And I closed the door on my pain. I, I wouldn't have put language on it in the moment, but that's what I did. I, I, it was too dark. It was too scary. It was too unbearable for me to even think about life at that moment. So I just closed the door and just said, like, I'm just going to move on. Now, by the grace of God, Liz has made almost a total full recovery. And she's doing awesome, and that was years ago. And most of you would, if you meet her, you would never know that she had a stroke. And we jokingly say now that she's doing so well that the, the benefit is, is that now we have handicap plates, which having handicap parking is pretty awesome. But that moment was super hard. It was challenging. It was terrifying. It was, it was scary. And then about a year after Liz had her stroke, we got the invitation to take on a church here in Austin that used to own this building called Hope in the City. And in that union, there's been amazing, beautiful things that have happened. But can we also just say change is hard? And no matter what your take on was the change and how you maybe long for the old days or are thankful for the new days, the fact is, is that change is hard no matter how you experience it. And the further we get from the change, oftentimes we only remember how good things used to be because we separate ourselves from the pain of why we need to change. And so in the complexity of all of those things, I'm just taking on myself, right, because what is my, my, my system reset, preset is we're good. Everything's good. Everything's great. How are you? I'm great. How's family? Killing it. Come on, tell us how you're really doing. I'm like, I really think I'm not lying to you. 
Like, I really, I, I, like, I think I'm good. I, I think I'm doing well. I, I, I'm not, like, dying inside and telling you a lie. Like, no, I'm, my system resets. Like, I'm great. Like, things are great. God's good. He's faithful. And at the same time, there was just, a, the pain was beginning to take a toll on my soul. And, you know, you start feeling tremors in your life. Have you ever felt like a soul tremor? Where you're doing something, you're experiencing something, and it begins to shake you in a way that it shouldn't. It's like a disproportional response. Right? And you're just like thinking about taking your kids to school, and all of a sudden that simple task becomes super stressful. Soul tremor. You start thinking about a project coming up at your work, and it's something that you totally can do. It's within the skill set of you and your team, but it's just like you're all of a sudden very overwhelmed about it. Soul tremor. And I started having these things happen in my life where I was feeling these soul tremors. But again, my, my system preset is like we're going to be okay. So I'd be like, you know what, I, I just need to lean in a little bit harder to Jesus. I need to memorize more scripture. Uh, I need to spend more time in, in the word. And, and I would just try to ignore the fact that my soul was beginning to shake. And it all came to a head for me as I'm getting ready to board a plane to Bali, Indonesia. Which in and of itself will cause a soul tremor. Even at the best of times. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long road. And I'm sitting at the airport here in Austin. And out of nowhere, I stand up out of the seat that I was sitting in at the terminal. And I say out loud, I can't get on the plane. And in that moment, I start uncontrollably weeping. I oftentimes look at the people in the the terminal, I'm like, they, they must have been like, what is happening to this dude? I was just like sitting, minding my business, and then all of a sudden I stand out and then declare, I can't get on this plane, and then begin to weep. Now, in the way that only Austin can, everyone just ignored me and thought, he's just having a moment. No one came and said, can I help you, sir? Are you okay? Can I you know, give you a helping hand? I was just like there, suffocating in the corner, and I remember I called my wife, and I called Liz, and I was like, hey, you got to pray for me, because I, I'm feeling like anxiety like I've never felt in my entire life. I was like, I can't breathe right now. I don't know what's going on. It feels like an elephant sitting on my chest, like the world feels like it's going, like I felt like I was living in the matrix, where it's everything was going fast and slow at the same time. It was almost like I was watching myself lose my mind. And I'm like, babe, you got to pray for me. Like, please, just pray for me. And I'm walking up and down the terminal, and I'm just like, God, you have to do something. Like, I can't. I, can't, I don't know what's happening. I call my friends. I'm like, guys, come on, pre please just pray for me. I'm losing my mind. And I'm, I literally, you know, like, you ever been so low? You don't really, you actually come to the real place of not caring what people think. You know, like, you, you think you're there sometimes, like, oh, I've dealt with the fear of man. And then you get into a low place, and you, like, are like, I really don't care. So here I am throwing all caution to the wind. I'm like, I need God. And so I'm, like, praying in tongues in the airport out loud. They're really, like, who is this dude? But, like, at that moment, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I can't breathe. And I'm looking down the barrel of 22 hours by myself on a plane. And it's just like, I... And I keep telling myself, this is why you don't travel by yourself. And you're like, well, you're going to meet Padgett. I think we were supposed to meet in Germany or something. I can't remember. I'm like, he'll be there soon. You know, like I was like. 
And I'm just, you know, I'm out of, and I finally, you know, like I, I, I pass through scriptures that have just, I've held on to, you know. And this is why we encourage you, you got to memorize the Bible. Because there's going to be a moment in your life where what, what you put in you becomes to be what comes out of you. And so like, I, I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, Philippians 4, 6. I'm like, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I would just like, I was just saying that over and over. Just over and over and over again. And I remember I like made it onto the plane. My first leg was to Chicago. I made it onto the plane and I'm like, all right, dude, let's just get this thing started. You know, like sometimes like the waiting is the worst part. And it's like, let's just get on the plane. Let's just get it going, you know. And I sit in the plane and I'm like, okay, you're okay. And of course, the, the humor of heaven alone. I'm in a row of teenage girls. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lord, where does my help come from? Not these girls. And they're like full-on teenage girls, like full-on do it for the gram, loud, laughing, singing, and I'm just like, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm here right now. And I'm just like, okay, dude, just, you're okay, you're okay, you know, just quoting scripture. And then they come on, they make that announcement, right, you know, like, we closed the cabin for departure. And as soon as they said that, it was just like, Bam. And it was all back. Like I, and I'm alone now. There's no one to call. I'm surrounded by 14-year-olds. You know, and I'm, I'm in the plane. I'm like, okay, I got to read the Bible. I open the Bible and the words are moving. I couldn't focus. I'm like, all right, I got to listen to music. Got to listen to worship music. And I put it on. And it's just like the worship music made me feel worse. And I was like, all right, I got to pray. And it's like my words were jumbled. Like I couldn't, like I was in a full-on panic attack. And I was totally by myself, completely alone. And I literally am having this conversation in my head like, okay, I literally feel like I'm dying. When do I go tell like the stewardess, hey, I think I'm dying. And then I start having the conversation with myself when she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Just kind of feels like the plane's about to suck into my face, you know, like. And so I remembered Liz's Lamaze class. <laughs> this is true, man. I wish I was making this up where the doctor or the person who was teaching the class told us that like women, when they're like really in labor, like the real, real last little bit. They'll like pick a spot, usually like in the ceiling or on the wall or something, and they like literally visualize themselves breathing through that like little spot. It's like this ultra focus. First of all, women are amazing. Like, wow, crazy. Having just witnessed birth, I'm just like, okay, this is why God had y'all do it. Because <laughs> I'd watch one video and be like, God has called me to no children. Like, I. And so I, like, literally pick, like, one little crack in the airplane wall, and I'm just, like, focusing on that, just literally trying not to scream. And the humility and shame and, like, 
what is, like, what is happening? What's going on? Like, why isn't all of the tools that I have been using for my entire life up to that point, why are they not working anymore? Why is it when I'm quoting the scripture that has literally pulled me out of fear and anxiety and worry for years in my life, why all of a sudden, as I'm quoting it, it's not doing it? Why, when I put worship music on, it's my favorite thing to do in the world, it, it made my head hurt. And, and I, was, I was so scared. And that was the beginning for me of a season that lasted for a couple of years that historical church fathers have come to call the dark night of the soul. Where for a season, heaven becomes silent. And it's important that you understand that the dark night of the soul is not punishment for anything that you've done. It's not God displaying his disappointment in you because of decisions that you've made. He's not withholding his presence from you because you are not worthy to receive it. No, it's actually out of his great love for you. It's out of his great love for you that he withholds his presence from you because it's in the silence and only in the silence where we can learn to trust that he's good even when we can't feel his goodness. And trust precedes faith. We have to learn to trust him. It's in the silence where the sand that has worked its way into the foundations of our lives gets exposed and our real soul, what's really in us, can be healed and restored. It's in the silence where we learn to trust who God is. It's in the silence where we begin to see that the purposes of God for us are bigger than our perspective on what's happening to us. And it's in the dark night of the soul where we grow up, where we mature, where the root systems of our faith goes down into the rich soil of the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to hear me that the fruit that will come out of this season of the dark night is connected to what we will fill the silence with. The fruit that will come out of the season of the dark night is based on what we will fill the silence with because silence is not silent. Silence is not silent. Even practically in 2015, Microsoft decided that they wanted to build the quietest room in the world. So they sent out to build the quietest room in the world. That when you're in this room, it is literally, literally silent. And what became of this Room, the experience in this room caught everybody by surprise. First of all, no one has been able to, to this day, be in that room for longer than an hour. Because when you're in the silence, you realize that silent 
silence is not silent. And when you're in this quiet room, they say the first thing is that almost within minutes, you begin to hear your heartbeat. And then a little bit longer, you begin to hear the blood in your body moving around through your veins. Then the next thing you hear is the grinding of your bones as you move. Then after that, a ringing begins to develop in your ears. And the ringing gets so unbearably loud that it forces people to leave. Another thing that I thought was really crazy is that as your ears are ringing, most people fall down. Because without any noise, we have no spatial awareness. So you're standing there and you just begin to tip over as your ears are ringing, deafeningly loud. And this is why no one's been able to stay in the quietest place in the world for longer than an hour. Because the, with the quieter things become on the outside, the louder things become on the inside. And can I just say that the, the longer that we're in a season of heaven being silent, the louder the lies that have been deep within our soul become. And what we choose to fill the silence with will determine the fruit of what happens out of our season of silence. 2 Corinthians 12, we've already read verse 9. It says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. This is Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He said, I will boast more, more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if we rewind this passage just a few more verses and start in verse 6 this is what it says even if I said choose to boast I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth but I refrain so no one will think more of me than uh, than is wanted or warranted by what I do or say or because these surpassing great revelations therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. No one knows what this thorn is. Some people think it's just a group of people that would follow Paul around and just shout down and try to destroy everything that he would, he's trying to build in the kingdom. Some would say that like maybe he was like sick. There was like an ailment that would limit his ability to do what he wanted to do. I even had a guy come up to me one time. This is my personal favorite one. And he was wondering if maybe it was like a nagging ex-wife that Paul had had. True story. I was at the bow shop. I'm just dialing in my bow. This dude Finds out I'm a pastor just through word of mouth. He's like, I got a question for you. No, this, this not, never has that happened where a guy comes up and is like, hey, dude, do you think Paul was maybe married before? And like, you know, they talk about that thorn in his flesh. Could that be like his nagging ex-wife? And I was like, there is zero theological precedent for that thought. <laughs> but it's funny that you're asking me that. 
Nobody knows. Like no one, there's, we don't have any clarity on what this thorn was. But to me, it's not even the important, powerful part of what's happening in this passage. The fact that Paul had something that he struggled with or something that he felt like was nagging at him or wearing him out or trying to destroy him, that to me is not as compelling as the fact that here we have Paul pleading with God not once, not twice, but three times. Why three times? Because the first two times heaven was silent. You know, Paul had a checkered past. He called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's from the right family, did the right things, was raised in the right way. He did all of the religious things right, yet his, cold, his heart was cold and hard. He persecuted the church. He, he actually supervised the killing of Christians. He was a guy that was against the building of the way, of those who followed Jesus. And he would stand up against them and fight against them both with word and with deed. And he was on his way to persecute the church. And God disrupted his world and slammed into him literally and said, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment, Paul became a, he went from being a destroyer of the church to a builder of the church. But how many of you know that your past runs into you? And what Paul could have filled the silence of his struggle with when he pleaded with God the first time, and then pleaded with God the second time. He could have filled that silence with what I like to call the lie of the why. Why is this happening to me? And he had every right, and if he was anything like us, which I believe he totally was, the thoughts that would have raced into his head as he is pleading with God and hearing nothing, and no breakthrough is coming, I deserve this. I deserve this. Like, I, I was horrible to people. I'm, I'm, I'm getting what I've deserved. Like, I, I know what I've done to others. I know the pain that I've caused in other people's lives. I know what I've done. I, I, I see their faces. I, 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 I'm embarrassed at what I did. So it's probably right that I'm struggling right now. It's, you're just getting me back. For all the wrongs that I've done. Silence is always filled with something. Silence is not silent. And the temptation is to fill the silence with the lie of why. Why do we think that heaven is silent? To try to figure out what we've done to get here. But walking in the victory and what God has for us is, that si- is filling the silence with who God is is and who he has always been. It's filling our hearts and minds with the truth of who God is, who God has been and who he will always be, that he's the same God. He has the same hope. He's filled with the same grace. He, he has the same fresh life right now. I might not be feeling it. I might not be hearing him. I not, might not be seeing him, but he is with me. And this is what we see Paul doing. He filled the silence with 
the faithfulness of just keeping coming, God, I know that you're here. I know that you're the God of breakthrough. I know that you're the God of the impossible, right? And, and, and he would just would keep coming and keep coming. But, man, I just want to say that, like, it is hard to stay tender in the fight when it's dark outside. And there's this thing that's called formation prayer. And I ran right into the need for formation prayer as I was in the dark night of the soul. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but it's like all of my lies of my whys live in my bathroom. And so when I wake up at about 3 in the morning to go to the bathroom, all of those lies are waiting for me in the bathroom. And that's when they want to start talking to me. And so, like, I would wake up and then not be able to go back asleep because my brain would just start going, why is this happening? Why did this not happen? Why did this person say this? Why did this happen? Why is this person struggling? Ah, it's just like this constant, they were all waiting for me. That's why George Fox, like, you're, we're, we're not alone in this. George Fox, the guy who actually started the Quaker movement in the 1600s, he said, when it's day, I long for night. And when it's night, I long for day. And I totally can relate to this, man. The sleeplessness, the sleepless nights in the dark night of the soul have been many. Nights filled with thoughts that get so loud, the ringing gets so loud in my ears that I can't do anything. And there's nothing I can do to escape. And I just, you know what I do? I go back to who God has been. And so I take Deuteronomy 31.8. Let me just tell you, the Bible is the key to an effective prayer life. In Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And I would just, like, have this Bible open, and I would just be pacing in my living room with tears pouring down my face. Just the weight of feeling alone just crushing my soul. And I'd be like, no, no, no. The Lord himself goes before me. I don't feel it right now, but he's here. The Lord himself goes before me, and he will be with me. He will never leave me. He's never going to forsake me. i got nothing to be afraid of. I've got nothing to fear. I've nothing to be discouraged about. And I would just like say it over and over and over and over, and nothing would change, and I would feel no relief. But you know, when the silence is so loud, it has a purpose. The pain has a purpose. And what we see Paul encounters is not a moment of breakthrough. He encounters a promise as he needs breakthrough. He pleaded once, nothing, twice, nothing. On the third time, the silence is broken. With my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The struggle is not going to go away, Paul, but the grace in the struggle is here for you, Paul. God uses the struggle in Paul's life to teach him in a deeper way of who he really was. In the silence, God has not left you. He's doing something new in you. The prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew 27 actually came from a psalm that David wrote in Psalms 22. It's definitely what came out of my heart so many times. 
when just the silence was so loud and the pain was so real. And it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day for you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. But listen, it goes on. Verse 3 says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. This is it. This is how you fill the silence in the darkness with the truth of who God is. Even when you don't feel his goodness, you tell yourself that he is good. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You're the one Israel praises in you, our ancestors, history. They have been. You have been. You will always be. Our ancestors put their trust in you. They trusted you and you delivered them. Remind yourself of what God has done in your life. Man, you delivered delivered me. You delivered this. You delivered them. You moved then. You fill the silence with what God has done. They cried out to you and were saved. You, in you, they trusted and they were put, not, they were not put to shame. To thrive in the victory that God has for us in seasons of the dark night. It's filling ourselves with who God is and who God has been. We got to fill the silence with truth. Because the silence will be filled with something. The lie of the why or the truth of the faithfulness and goodness of God. And if we keep our heart tender, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen. Do me a favor. Stand to your feet. It is in the dark night of the soul where we get spiritually mature, where we get deeper, where we get stronger, where we get more clarity, where the spiritual formation that God has for us in our life will happen. When you walked in, you saw that on your chair there's these little white cards. And what we're going to do for our response time is that we're, we're going to say, you're going to write down on that card who God has been to you. Maybe you need to write down Deuteronomy 31.8. You can steal that one for yourself. Maybe it's another scripture. And I want you to keep that card. And when you have a dark moment this week, or if you're in a season of the dark night of the soul, you're going to, this week, unlike any other week in your life, you're going to fill the silence with the truth of who God is and not the lies of the why. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm asking that right now that your spirit would come. And that you would begin to minister to us. You'd begin to speak to us. You'd begin to heal us. You'd begin to operate in, a, in an incredible way, God, in us and through us right now. That you would show us your kindness. You would show us your goodness. And Lord, I'm asking that you would reveal the consistent truth that will hold us and fill the silence of heaven in moments with the truth and the consistency of who you are.